they can head back to class. June, we'll do our uh, promotion. Well, we got two kids that'll be promoted out of the kids' class into the teens' class. Um, and then I don't know, do we have any little ones that are going out of the nursery? Who? Andrew out of the nursery. So a promotion out of the nursery too. All right, wonderful. We have some guests here today. Thank you for joining us. I uh, don't want to embarrass you or anything, but thank you for being here. We sure appreciate that. Last week I was out of town and uh, had the privilege to preach in uh, Indiana and appreciate everyone that filled in Sunday school and service and things like that last week. Of course, uh, James preached for us last week. He decided to take off this week, uh, but um, you know, we appreciate uh, him filling in. When I preach in other churches, which doesn't happen very often, but uh, I always like to tell a joke. I don't do that here because... Well, there's a lot of weeks that I'm here and run out of jokes, at least good ones. Um, but last week in Indiana, this is what I told the people. I wanted to share it with you today. There was a Minneapolis couple who decided to go to Florida for their anniversary, 20 years uh, anniversary, to get out of the wintry weather and get into, into some warmer weather. And they decided to stay at the same hotel where they spent their honeymoon. Uh, they had a hectic schedule, so they had to fly out at different times. So the husband went down a day early before the wife, and he got in, checked into the hotel, and there was a computer in his room. So he decided to send an email to his wife, but he accidentally left out one letter in the email address, and he sent the email without realizing there was an error. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow of a Baptist pastor just returned home from her husband's funeral. And she decided to check her messages to receive all the condolences and things like that. She opened up her email, began to read the first email. She screamed and she fainted. The son ran into the room and found the computer open and began to read an email that said, To my loving wife, I've just arrived today. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send an email to your loved ones. Since I've just arrived, I thought I would send you an email. Everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope that your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. Sure is hot down here. Some of you, that'll hit in just a second. Um, we're in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 this morning. Have you ever been to the moment in your life where you realized you were right, but you were also wrong at the same time? Happens a lot in arguing with someone. You're right, you know you're right. When you get done with it, you realize I'm still wrong. I might be right about what I was arguing about. I was wrong about arguing about it. Um, a lot of times we come to points in life where we work so hard to be right that sometimes we don't do right the right way. And at the end of the day, we're still wrong. And we'll argue and we'll be mad or we'll be uh, uh, adamant that we're right. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And, uh, and then when you look at the mirror of Scripture, you realize you're still wrong. In Matthew, we see an interesting uh, uh, passage here. Christ had been teaching on reconciliation. And Peter, one of his disciples, had been thinking on the teaching. And that, now, the rabbis at the time taught that uh, you would forgive someone three times. 
And after the third time, their, their chances were up. Uh, There's no reason to forgive them anymore. You weren't required to forgive them anymore. And so Peter, being a follower of Christ, he thought he should do a little bit more than that. But the question he had was, how much more? And uh, that's what we see here, and Christ teaches with a parable in his answer. But in verse 21 it says, Then came Peter to him, and he said, Lord, how oft shall, bro- uh, shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And then he tells this parable, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven like unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, I have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and beside him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw that what was done, excuse me, and he would not, verse 30, he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. And his Lord, after that, had called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that, that, all that debt, because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servants, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. And then Christ talking to his disciples, said, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. This morning I want us to think about the thought of I'm wrong. Lord, I pray that you'd help this morning as we look at this passage, and I pray that you'd help me to present it correctly and clearly. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to your word today, that we would receive exactly what you'd have us to receive. And Lord, I'm thankful for this teaching, and I pray that it would be uh, um, just what we need this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We see again this uh, Peter come to God and and Christ, and, and, uh, and he says, you know, how often should I forgive those that sin against me? And again, the rabbis taught three times. And so Peter, he shoots high. He says seven times, right? Seven's the number of perfection. Seven times, right? Um, and God, Christ says, well, no, 70, you say seven. I, I'd say 70 times seven. But then he tells this story. And, uh, and we see what we can learn from this story. I've got three thoughts I want to share with you today. Number one, I want us to see the man in his debt. The man in his debt. And we see it in verses 23 through 27. And we see that he had a, a large debt, 10,000 talents, the Bible tells us. It's hard to uh, convert those numbers to today's money and things like that, but the, the, the main picture that's given to us is a debt that is far too much to be able to pay. It is not a small debt. 
It is not a large debt. It is an insurmountable debt. It is something that could not have been paid uh, to him. And he comes up now to this day that he was supposed to pay, to the point where the master said, it's time. We've waited too long on this. It's time for you to pay. And really what it came down to is after they would sell all his possessions, after he was sold, after his family was sold, he still wouldn't pay the debt that was owed. So basically you could strip away everything that this man had in his life, including his own freedom, and he still wouldn't be able to pay the debt. Which is a great picture, I believe, of our debt that we owe to God. This, this passage isn't necessarily talking about that. It is talking about forgiveness. But when you look at the picture that we have of the debt that, that we have uh, towards God, that, that we owe God, it's insurmountable. There's nothing we can do to pay it. No matter what we do in this life, no matter what we do, uh, we are unable to pay back what we owe to God. And the wonderful thing is God says, you don't have to, you don't owe me anything. The debt is paid. But we see here in this story that this man who has this insurmountable debt, he comes before his master and the master says, uh, uh, you need to pay it. He says, I can't. Uh, and so he says uh, what he's going to do to him, the consequence for that, in order for him to be able to pay and it says in verse 26, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And so we see here that, that he was asking for more time. He was asking for more time, and what he received was grace. He stood before his master, someone who he owed a, an insurmountable debt to, and the day was there to pay. He could not do it. So he says, please give me more time. And the Master gave him grace. Secondly here, we're going to spend most of our time in, in, in point number three today. But secondly, we see the man and his deed. The man and his deed. It says in verse 28. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we see here where the, the Master who, who gave him the grace, and how did he give him the grace? He says, I forgive you everything. Now why did he do that? Because he had compassion. It says he was moved with compassion. We see Christ, many times throughout his earthly ministry, moved with compassion. He saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion. He saw a crippled man and he was moved with compassion. He saw people walking as sheep without a shepherd and he was moved with compassion. Here, the man comes and he says, please give me more time. He didn't ask for the master to forgive him his debt. You notice that? He didn't ask for his master to forgive him his debt. He said, give me time and I will pay you. Which, by the way, he wouldn't have. <laughs> he couldn't have. He would have needed several lifetimes to do so. And we only get one lifetime. But he says, just give me time and I will pay it. And the master looks at him and, and had compassion on him. And he says, I will forgive you everything that you owe. He didn't say, I'll cut it in half. He doesn't say, I'll knock out the interest. He doesn't say, I'll give you more time. He says, all of it, forgiven. You don't owe me a penny. 
And that's what grace is. And again, that's what Christ does for us. He says, you owe me uh, uh, an insurmountable debt, something you cannot pay. Your sin uh, is, is a debt on you that you cannot pay. But when we come to Christ and we say, God, forgive me, God, save me, and God does, He wipes out your debt, cleans it out. You don't owe a penny. Now let's go to point two, the man and his deed. So we see the servant. He received grace. But then after his debt was canceled, we see that his character was unchanged. Interesting. He says there in verse 28, the same servant went out. And he found one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred pence. Now compared to uh, uh, 10,000 talents, a hundred pence was nothing. The way I understand it, it comes out to about three months worth of labor. So it was still a debt, but it was nothing like what the, the one servant was just forgiven of. But it says he laid hands on him, he took him by the throat, and he said, pay me that thou owest. You owe me a hundred pence, pay me now. He demanded payment. I find it interesting here that uh, after he was forgiven, after he was offered for his debt to be wiped clean, nothing in his own life changed. In Luke chapter 7, if you want to turn there, you can. Luke chapter 7, I'm going to look at several verses, starting in verse 36. Luke chapter 7 in verse 36, bear with me as I read through the end of the chapter. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house, and he sat down uh, to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, uh, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash, uh, wash his feet with her hair. She kissed his feet and she anointed them with ointment. And the Pharisees, they saw this, and, and, and when they saw it, he, he spake with, within himself, one of the Pharisees did. He said, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. He said, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and one owed him 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them still will love him the most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman, and he said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. It's interesting because in this story in Luke, Christ is saying that 
with the, the, the Pharisees are saying, well, this, this filthy woman, this sinning woman, this wicked woman, if, if he only knew who she was, he wouldn't be letting her wash his feet. And he says, because of who she is, I'm more than happy to let her wash my feet. He says, she has treated me the way that you should have treated me. He said, because she has so much sin in her life, she will love me far more than you ever could. Because to whom much is forgiven, there is much love. And so we go back to this, this parable here in Matthew, and, and we have this man, and he had all these great debts, and it had been forgiven. And it doesn't go with the story in Luke, does it? Because in Luke, God says, the one who has much forgiven will love much. This man had much forgiven, yet he showed no change in his life. No gratitude, no uh, um, uh, repentance. He comes down to this other serve and he takes him by the throat and he says, you owe me a hundred pence, I want it right now. And this other servant uh, falls down in verse 29 the exact same way that the man who's grabbing him by the throat and say, pay me now, did to his uh, uh, person whom he owed debt to. And he says, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. The exact same thing that the other man said. And this man who just experienced a great forgiveness of his debt, he said, no way, Jose. It's in the Greek. No way, Jose. You owe me. He threw him in prison until he could work off what he owed. He demanded payment. He was asked for patience, just as he asked his master for patience, uh, but he gave no mercy. He gave no grace the same way that his master gave to him. It's interesting because we see here this lack of change in this man. Grace was offered, but zero change took place. So that brings us to point number three, the man and his doom. We see the man in his debt, the man in his deed, and we'll close with the man in his doom. We see in verse number 32, it says, Then his Lord, uh, after the servants had come and told him what happened, he called him and he said unto him, O thou wicked servant. The word wicked here is the same word that refers to our natural flesh, meaning before we were saved. It's the same, same word used in the Greek. The unregenerated nature, the old man. I think it's interesting that he used use this term because God used words on purpose. And he says to this man, he says, you've come, you, you've been offered great grace, but you're still wicked. He says, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And all of a sudden we see grace replaced with wrath. And it says in verse 34, His Lord was wroth and He delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. This is a worse punishment a worse consequence than what was offered at the beginning of selling everything and selling his family and selling himself and working off his debt 
in prison. Now he's delivered to the tormentors. And we see that grace turned to wrath. It's interesting because a lot of times we will come to God thinking the same way Peter thought. God, when I'm wronged, how often should I forgive? And a lot of times we're like Peter when we think that we're right. We're actually wrong. Peter's mindset was, we have a lot of people that are wronging us. He's with Christ. I mean, there's multitudes of people who are excited and happy, but there are lots of people who were not happy when Christ walked into town. And I'm sure things were said. I'm sure things were thrown. I'm sure things were done. And so Peter thinking, I know I'm right because I know we're supposed to forgive people. And I know the rabbis teach three times, but uh, we should forgive at least seven times, right? He was probably thinking Christ would say, no, three, that's the rule. That's just my guess. I don't know. But Christ responded with them with this, this parable. How often should I forgive? Well, the answer is we should forgive like Jesus forgives over and over again. But he gives this illustration in the story of the master who forgave, but there was no change. And that grace turned into wrath. I wonder how often we show too much of the old man in our lives. How often God says, I'll forgive you, and then we turn around and we figuratively grab someone else by the throat and say, you owe me. And where God then looks at us and He says, oh, Wicked man, you're looking like the old flesh. You're looking like the unregenerated soul. Because a lot of times we go through life and we get wronged and we think that we're in the right because we were wronged. Well, I didn't get them back. I didn't get even. Did you forgive? Well, I forgave them once, but then they did it again. Okay, did you forgive them again? You see, a lot of times we walk through the Christian life acting like non-Christians. We do it in the way that we refuse to love people. We do it in the way that we judge people. We do it in the way that we're prideful. And so often, we do it in the way that we refuse to forgive people. It's a hard thing to do because when someone does something against us, it hurts. And in that hurt, and in that pain, and in that frustration, we kind of just seal up and say, well, I didn't do anything wrong, so I must be right. And God says, if you don't forgive that person... You can't be right. Well, they didn't ask for forgiveness. God doesn't say they have to in order for you to forgive. I know a lot of Christians who go through life saying, if they ask me, I will forgive. But until they ask, 
God doesn't say wait until they ask. Someone who forgives will, will live a much more peaceful life than the person who doesn't. And what you'll find is if someone wrongs you and you forgive them, honestly and truly forgive them, you're going to forget about it eventually. And if you ever have the chance to talk to them years down the road, if they're still bitter and angry or whatever, you're going to find they've lived a, a pretty miserable existence. I've met people, heard people talk, uh, seen many true examples of people who've forgiven people and gone on with life, and the other person, man, for years, decades, just holding on to it. And when they see them, you know, they, they're still kind of huffing and puffing about it. And the other person's like, wait, what happened? I don't remember that. How long ago was that? Hmm, no, I haven't thought about that in ages. They've just gone on living a, I wouldn't say carefree life, but in that, in that situation, carefree. You see, the person who refuses to forgive, what you're doing is you're not, you're not doing anything to the person you refuse to forgive. You're not, you're not showing them. <laughs> you're not, you're not uh, uh, proving to them anything. You're just living a miserable life. Social media is an interesting tool because that there's someone that you're angry at and you're scrolling through and all of a sudden their face comes up. All of a sudden you go, oh, can't stand that person. Well, then unfriend them. <laughs> Quit following them. My goodness, what's wrong with you? But, uh, or forgive them and, and move on with life. But it's so funny how when we say, everybody just happy, go lucky, whatever, and then all of a sudden a picture pops up and you're like, oh, that person. You know, a lot of people, especially Christians, use social media to spy on people they don't like. People from past churches, people from high school, people from college, hoping that they're just having a horrible life. Oh man, I hope one day I come on there and they're, uh, you know, they're they're homeless or they're uh, without a job or they've uh, just had all kinds of issues and. I just hope they're miserable. And then you see them on Facebook and they're smiling with a happy family of 18 and they're uh, living in this mansion and they're at the beach every other week and then they're in the mountains the other week and they're just living life up and you're sitting there going, oh, I just hate that person. It usually doesn't work the way you want it to. But it's interesting because, again, the, the illustration that's given to us here and God's saying... Uh, in the story that he uses, he uses the term that the man who was shown grace was still the old flesh, unchanged. He says in verse 35, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you as the Master did to the servant, if... Ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. A person who refuses to forgive has the heart of an unsaved person. You think that you're winning when you don't forgive. 
the reality is, is you're losing more and more every single day. And I don't know what's been done to you. I don't know, um, you know, the, uh, the extent that you've been hurt by someone. But if you refuse to forgive, God says, it's not going to be worth it. And so often we go around as this man who's, who's been shown grace, and we go around and, man, we just grab people by the throat and say, you owe me this and you owe me that. We're not going to let it go. And God's looking and He's saying, think about what you've been forgiven. He says it there in verse 35. Everyone, their trespasses. So which ones am I not supposed to forgive? Which ones am I okay to to, uh, uh, hold that grudge? There's not a one. Well, why not? Because Jesus has forgiven every single one of my trespasses. Man, it's hard to understand sometimes. All of them. We'll look at people because we always um, rank sins. Uh, You know, this one's really bad and this one's really bad and this one's really bad. This one's bad, but this one's really bad. Uh, Murder, abuse... Um, people who wrong children. We'll rank those sins in our own lives. Wait, i got to forgive them? Whew, I don't know if I can do that. God says you need to. I can't understand the hurt that some people have been through because I've not experienced it. I won't be able to comprehend it in my brain. But I can comprehend this. God says, if someone's wronged you, you should forgive them. Why? Because God says, I have. I've forgiven you. And if they ask, I'll forgive them. I say that, and I just said earlier, right, and we're not supposed to wait till they ask. Well, God's already paid the price. It's interesting because the way it's, it's, it's in the, the, the Scriptures, right? He's, he offers them the grace. And the one supposedly accepts the grace, right? Okay, no debt, great, wonderful. Nothing changed. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We believe that God's the one that saves. The Bible also says that when you're saved, you're given a new, a new man. Change happens. We don't do good to be saved, we do good because we're saved. 
So what happens if there's never a change? And the word that's used again here for wicked here is unregenerated, unchanged. Now, I'm not saying that if you have someone in your life that you've not forgiven that you're not saved. It's not what I'm saying. But in this passage, that's the terminology used. This man who did not forgive is acting like an unregenerated person, a lost person, someone who has not been saved. When you stand before God, God loves you. God's forgiven you. If you've been saved, God has taken your sins. And he's cast as far as for the east is from the west. Put it behind him. He doesn't look back on it. He doesn't bring it up. He doesn't beat you over the head with it. We're going to stand before God one day and we're going to see rewards. Some will be of wood and hay and stubble. And some will be of precious metals. We'll be thrown in a fire. Only one kind is going to come out. The other kind will be burned. Disappear. I don't know exactly how it's all going to go down as far as the semantics of it, but can I say this? You don't want to stand before God when your time on this earth is done, when, when there's no more time left for you to do things for the right way here. You don't want to stand before God with a list of people that you refuse to forgive. Because at the very least, it's showing your old flesh, the old man. We're not supposed to show that. For God has given us a new man. He's made us a new creature. We're not supposed to act like that anymore. Those things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. For there's been a great change since I've been born again. Christians will put away a lot of things when they get saved. I know friends who've put away alcohol, um, addiction, um, lust, actions, entertainment, whatever it is, when they got saved. I know a lot of Christians who don't like to forgive. We'll put away those things that everybody on the outside can see that are wrong. But it's those things on the inside that only God can see that we tend to hold on to. The pride. The judgmental. That's part of pride, but the judgmental attitude. Uh, the bitterness. And the refusal to forgive. I think the reason why we do that is because most people can't see it. You can sometimes see someone who's bitter. It's pretty, actually, it's usually pretty easy to see. But uh, for whatever reason, we don't think people can see it. And, and so we'll hold on to it a little longer. God says that if we refuse to forgive, our Heavenly Father will be, do as the Master did in this story. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that uh, if we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. 
it's like going to God and saying, the general prayer of God, whatever sins I committed today or this week, please forgive me. When we do that, if you, if you do a general prayer like that, you're, you're still thinking in your head about the sins. I think you should list them out for God, not that He doesn't know them, but I think it's good for you to, to um, make sure you know them. <laughs> God, forgive me for this. God, I did this today. Forgive me for that. A lot of times we pass over the, God, forgive me for not forgiving this person. And the Bible says, if you refuse to forgive, then God refuses to forgive. You say, well, the Bible says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Yes, but when you confess your sins, are you actually confessing your sins? God, forgive me for that mean look I gave or that mean word or that attitude or whatever. Uh, but then we get to that person that we need to forgive and we're just so angry and we're just so caught up on it. And we skip over that because I'm right. I didn't do anything wrong to them. They wronged me. And God says, well, if you don't forgive, then you're wrong. And my heavenly Father will do unto you the same if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. My fear is for our church, and I love our church, wonderful people. My fear is is that we'll fall into the same traps that so many churches fall into. Or we just feel like we're right. We didn't do anything wrong. In reality, we're, we're still wrong. Because we refuse to forgive. Well, who's wronged you? Can I give you a few individuals? Maybe it is not true for you. But people who stereotypically wrong us and we refuse to forgive. Parents. Maybe from a long time ago. Children. Those little scoundrels. Other relatives, sisters, brothers, cousins, aunts, uncles. Government. We don't have to forgive them because they're wrong. Not what God says. Churches, pastors, church members. There's so much bitterness within churches. And again, I don't think this, this is our church right now, and I pray it never is. There are so many churches across America and the world where people refuse to even look across the aisle because they're mad about what someone said about their mac and cheese. Listen, it was dry. Get over it. Someone didn't say something nice about their dress or, or their shirt, or someone didn't thank them for their service. Or someone was just straight up wrong to them. And 
they say, I'm not forgiving that person until they ask for it. And they just hold on to it. And then when they do that, they're living a life that's also unforgiven. Think about all that sin that's piling up. It's like a, a drain that gets plugged with unforgiveness. And now all that sin that's piling up. And we're saying, God, please forgive me my sins. And he says, including the unforgiveness? No, not that one. What do you go through in your life that is a result of you refusing to, unforgi- uh, to, refusing to forgive someone? Now, I want to be careful. <laughs> but what does God... Because God chastens whom He loves. What does God use to discipline you when you refuse to forgive someone? Not everything that happens that's, that's bad in life, um, hardships, is punishment from God. I don't believe that. So please don't interpret it as that. But what has God allowed in your life that's a result of you refusing to forgive someone? For the Master here delivered this man over to the tormentors. What is God? What have you had to experience in life because you refuse to forgive? Just a question. There have been times in life, and I won't give you any specifics, but times in life where I'm going through something, I'm thinking, man, what in the world? Very rarely do I think, that any hardship I'm going through is a punishment. But there's just, there's been, I can think of two times in my life where I'm sitting there going, what in the world? And I start thinking and, and thinking and realizing, boy, I got some stuff in my life that shouldn't be there. And I go and ask God to forgive, and He does. And all of a sudden, it starts to, to lighten up. Now, you know, I've said it many times, Christian life is, is not sunshine and daisies, right? There's hardships that come. And I'm not, again, not saying that's punishment. I know people who preach that way, and it's just not what the Bible teaches. But, um, but it can be. And a lot of times we'll go through life and we'll think, man, I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything right. I am right. Why is this happening? And God's saying, you're not right. You refuse to forgive. And my Heavenly Father will do to you what this Master did to this servant until you forgive. Don't, if you're saved, don't act like a lost person. And worse than that, I believe, in my opinion, is not acting like a lost person, it's having the heart of a lost person. Because not everybody can notice that. So instead of saying I'm right, actually be right. And if there's something in your life that, is, that you've yet to forgive, I promise you're going to find more peace, you're going to find more joy, you're going to find more freedom if you'll forgive them. No matter what it was. How do I know that? It's because it's what God says.
So experience that freedom for yourself, that joy for yourself, that peace for yourself. And give it to God. Ask God for forgiveness. And forgive those who you've yet to forgive. How often should I forgive? Three times? Seven times? Christ gives a number, right? 70 times 7. But what he means is, if you, and I didn't take the time to explain it to you today, but there's no, there's no limit. You just keep forgiving. Why? Because that's what God does. And we're supposed to be what God is. We're supposed to follow his example. Lord, help us, I pray. I pray that, that uh, God, there's so much that goes on in life and there's so much happening in the world. Lord, it's so easy for us just to grab hold of something and just remain bitter. There's so much that can just, uh, we just, we just hold on to. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to forgive as you've forgiven us. And help us to be faithful to forgive. And Lord, I pray that you would help us today that we could live a life that is free. A life that is joy-filled. A life that is peaceful. And Lord, I know there are many other things that can cause um, issues in life, but I know that forgiveness is a hard one many times for Christians to do even though we have been so wonderfully forgiven. So God, help us to forgive. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand.